Is the progressive left wrong about Britain's ethnic minorities? To help answer this question, I'm joined by thinker and author, Dr. Rakib Hassan. Welcome, Rakib. Thank you for having me, William. Great. Well, you've written a new book, which I have here, called Beyond uh, Grievance. And the premise of the book, obviously, is that the left get quite a few things wrong. So what are the main things they get wrong? I mean, they get many things wrong. Yeah. And that's the truth of it. I think what I really wanted to do with the book is really challenge what I consider to be quite problematic liberal left narratives mm. um, surrounding the life of mm. many of our ethnic minority communities. I think too much of it's been overly doom and gloom. Mm. Um, <clears throat> there's been a great deal of talk about how ethnic minorities, they live in a fundamentally racist society. Mm. They're alienated from our economic, social and cultural systems. Uh, that is simply not rooted in reality. So I really mm. wanted to challenge those myths, which are, in my view, a threat to social cohesion in the country at large. Mm. It's made things worse, isn't it? A lot of these narratives are very negative, very divisive, and your book actually is pretty full of facts, mm. aren't they? So wherever we go, so let's start. You know, Britain is a fundamentally racist society, that's claimed, and that's hammered all the time. And yet, I mean, the first question I would say, well, okay, there are racists in every society, but compared to what? So how would, if I asked you, how does Britain compare with other Western liberal democracies? Well, I'd, I'd say that, to be honest, I think Britain fares very well. Mm. Uh, I think there's that myth that Britain is a bigoted island and then the EU is an oasis of tolerance. That's simply mm. not ludicrous. the case. It's, it's absolutely <laughs> ludicrous. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you look at the provision of anti-discrimination protections, for example, mm. on the grounds of race, mm. ethnicity, religion, Britain comfortably outperforms major EU member states such as France, Germany, mm. the Netherlands, mm. Spain and Italy. Yeah. And I think we are a country of considerable religious freedoms. Mm. Now, I think it's very important that those freedoms are not exploited mm. and taken advantage of. Mm. But I think that one of the great things um, for many British Muslims, for example, mm. and I'll, hopefully we'll come on to that later we when we're talking about yeah. their integration, yeah. political incorporation, mm. is that they're allowed to practice their faith mm. in a meaningful and wholesome way, which is certainly not the case for their co-religionists in other countries, such as France. They yeah. have a very militant uh, secularism, mm. which in my view is quite oppressive when it comes to mm. um, religious practice. And that, you know, we'll go into it a bit later, but that means that a lot of people that are free to practice their religion in this country do appreciate it. Mm. And it's not taken for granted because many of the states that they've come from, that's not a given. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't, when I, when I scanned your book, I think it's a great book. Uh, I, I agree with that. virtually everything in it. Uh, but I think when I scanned it, I thought, you know, there's so many areas that the progressive left are wrong about. They're, you know, literally sowing things that are no, have no basis in fact. So as you say, you know, the, the comparison with this country in Europe, uh, some of the narratives that came around uh, in, in, in the time of Brexit uh, were ludicrous. And we're not, you know, the uh, cable saying that Brexit was based on white nostalgia, <laughs> or David Lammy comparing the ERG to Nazis. This and is, apartheid South Africa as well. Yeah, I mean, this is, oh, this is utterly crazy. I mean, it, uh, uh, unbelievable. Um, but the, the biggest thing recently, the biggest problem recently is the importation of American uh, sort of hyper-racialized mm. politics, isn't it? And that's like the BLM wave. It's like a sort of wave that washed over the country. Absolutely. And it was disappointing because we lapped it up and the Anglosphere lapped it up comprehensively. And 
but you're you're a proud Lutonian, aren't you? So wh- Very what proud. what the heck does what does this narrative have to do with you and Luton? Well, I, I think for me it's a real problem in terms of this brainless importation. That's what yeah. I call it in the book yeah. of this yeah. um, racial identity politics, uh, which mm. the U.S. exports mm. very aggressively mm. to the rest of the Anglosphere, uh, to the point where you had uh, British BLM demonstrators chanting, don't shoot, yeah. at British police officers. Yeah. Um, uh, our police forces are largely mm. unarmed, and mm. they support that model of police mm. in the vast majority mm. of the profession. Mm. Uh, but what it is for me, I think, when you look at theories such as white privilege, mm. uh, it, it has no usefulness in terms of mm. understanding mm. ethnic and racial disparities in the UK. Mm. Because as you know, this is something that you've talked about. If you look at educational mm. outcomes, for mm. example, and this is where intersectionality, it, it, it does provide some value because if you look at the outcomes for white working class boys, yeah. Yeah. desperately poor, mm. um, especially in the Northwest of England, mm. And I think when you're looking at privilege, for me, this is something that I talk about in the book. Mm. I think the greatest advantage that you could have in life is belonging to a stable and loving family home. Yeah, no, I mean, through it's a theme you, mm. and, and again, I, I want to discuss that later and separately mm. because it's such a big thing. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, concepts like uh, white privilege don't, they're uh, advanced in mm. the academy and then they get into culture and culture, you know, and into, into media. Absolutely. But it, if you're a white working class lad in Hartlepool, it's a meaningless, it's, it's a joke to say that, to, 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 to say that you have some privilege. I mean, particularly from a class point of view, one of the, one of the criticisms I have with it is it just, it just takes class off the table. Absolutely. Do you agree? Absolutely. And I think that, you know, much of the left uh, ignores the fact that there are significant class-based barriers mm. within British society. We should be honest about that. Mm. Uh, the Social Mobility Commission um, its poll in 2019 found that mm. 77% of British people thought the gap between classes mm. was too large. Mm. More than three in four people in the country are not rabid Marxists. I mm. imagine yeah. there's traditional Tories yes. within that 77%. Yeah. 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 So I think it's worth talking about class a little bit more and looking at how um, areas of deprivation, how they lack the opportunities for young people to maximise their potential. Certainly politically, I've noticed, uh, uh, leading the SDP, it's, it's, it's very Claret and Chips. We're a very uh, broad party, and mm. in London it's quite cerebral, and in the regions it's, it's very working class in parts. Mm. And that whole narrative, trying to get uh, you know, SDP members from sort of West Yorkshire and the North East to, to, to see themselves as, as privileged, they would just say, you know, our, our ancestors, you know, lost lost limbs in the mines, mm. you know, and, and, and were were treated appallingly, actually. So uh, it, it didn't, it doesn't have any sort of basis in reality. Absolutely. Um, so the, the 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 heart of the problem in terms of the divisiveness is that some people are trying to get uh, Britain's ethnic minorities to believe that they that the system is entirely rigged against mm. them. That the institutions and the society itself is institutionally racist or systemically racist. And that's a major problem. It's just negative and untrue, isn't it? It's hugely untrue. I think and that narrative that our systems are deliberately rigged against ethnic and racial minorities. Mm. And you don't see much evidence of that when you look at <coughs> the outcomes. Mm. For example, educationally, uh, it's actually ethnic minority communities, especially pupils of Chinese and Indian origin, mm. are performing incredibly well mm. um, in schools um, in, in more urban parts of England. And I think when you look at um, 
our public institutions, mm. that, that if you look at politics, trade unions, business confederations, mm. there are ethnic minority uh, individuals rising through the ranks. Yeah, well, the Prime Minister is... Well, is quite, one, yeah. quite. Yeah. And, and I think that the, the, the idea is deliberately rigged. Now, of course, we can make improvements in terms of equality of opportunity, but I think the two main issues there mm. is, as you say, social class mm. and region. Mm. We're one of the most interregionally imbalanced economies totally. in the industrialized world mm. so i think that if we're looking at what shapes advantage and privilege mm. we need to look more at class and region in my view i think that's right and the data says it's right but i just want to dig a little bit further on uh, in, in terms of the damaging aspects of this narrative because what, what i see is that um <clears throat> if you peddle the idea that uh uh racial or community disparities are attributable to racism primarily. If you say that, you've got to say, well, well who is responsible for racism? And of course, the white majority, you know, think, what, are they talking about us? Is it our fault? Uh, are we to blame for these different disparities? And as you say, it's not just in education, it's not just in, in, in economic uh, performance. There are certain uh, minority groups that really massively outperform. You know, mm. you say in the book, the Chinese and the uh, British Indian population, they earn uh, at, a very high, at a much higher rate than the average, <clears throat> and they manage to accumulate wealth at, the, mm. at a higher rate. Very strong emphasis on home ownership, for example. Exactly, yeah, so the, and immediately <clears throat> culture comes into it. So the outcomes to any sane person looking at it you know, dispassionately, it has to say, well, now the cause of, 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 of Indian or Hindu outperformance, might, you might want to look at the Hindu community. No, absolutely. I think the role of faith, mm. um, multi-generational cohesion, mm. wisdom and knowledge being passed down the generations. Yeah. I think that's something that's probably been lost a little bit in the white British mainstream. Oh, massively. Perhaps. It, totally. No, and I, think, I certainly think there are, mm. there are some things about family, extended family and community mm. and rootedness that the, the majority of white community can learn from Britain's ethnic minorities, no doubt about that. But as I say, I think it's, 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 it's not only a, 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 an incorrect narrative, it's poisonous because white people are going to think, well, you know, uh, it's as if the white majority is sort of pulling strings and get, you know, it, <laughs> You know, we, you know, the Bangladeshi person going to keep them down, or keep this, or keep the right. Hindus up. No, I mean, you could, I, I, I mean, in, in theory, I, I, I would accept in theory that you know Chinese and Hindus could could be, and probably are, um, subject to some racism, and you could argue that they would have done even better. Mm. But I don't think the disparity is explained by the majority. That's, no, I just don't. I, I, I think cultural values count for a great deal. Um, mm. Emphasis mm. on family unity, mm. um, <clears throat> thinking of yourself as more than just a mere individual. Mm. And I think some of those beliefs are more strongly held in certain groups than others yeah. uh, in society. Also, when you're looking at ethnic minority outcomes, you have to look at migratory background. Some mm. people bring more resources with them, business acumen when they come to the UK. Other people may come from very deprived rural regions, so it might take a bit more time for them to integrate and make progress. No, but I think that's such a big, um, a very important point because, again, when you're looking at different groups and you can chop groups up into, into mm. very small uh, component parts uh, in the end, but if you're looking at groups, certainly migration into the West from parts of Africa is, is really quite... I mean, if you look at um, Nigerian Americans, for instance, massively outperforming, mm. But that's that's they're taking very very motivated bright they're taking the the, mm. the best because it's quite a high bar. So again, you're going to get disparities. 
I mean, my, my, my take on it is that I don't think these disparities are going to go rapidly. You want to aim for equality, mm. but uh, I don't think they're going to go. And so the only way we can, um, we can get on in, in, in a, in a multi-ethnic, multi-faith, diverse society is to have a greater level of honesty and I would say maturity about some of these things. There has to be honesty and maturity goes mm. a long way mm. and certain communities clearly have to be very honest mm. uh, within themselves mm. about why they may not be performing as well mm. um, as other uh, to other groups. But that's hard isn't it? I mean, It's it, very difficult. It, it's, it, do you think, I mean obviously human beings are not, uh, it's, it's much harder to look at yourself. You, you, the st- you, you, your book is st- stuff full of brilliant stats, mm. evidence-based but you've got some of the disparities. So school, I wrote a few down, school exclusion sure. rate, uh, black Caribbean kids, 10.7% Chinese and 0.6%. There are different groups in between. The big one, and it, and it's, it is hard, because you, 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 you don't want to, you've got to be fair, but you also got to be honest. Absolutely. And uh, children raised by single parents, black Caribbean, 63%, Indian, 6%. That's an order of magnitude. That's massive. And, and if, they would all fall under BAME, by the way. I know, which shows well, how homogenizing yeah, it is. we could talk about it. I mean, I think yeah. that's, BAME is just insulting nonsense. It, it I don't really even is. believe, I, personally, I mean, I, I don't even believe that the black community is a thing. Absolutely. Do you agree? There's, there's very serious differences yeah. between, firstly, the black African category is incredibly diverse. That mm. could include established migrants mm. of Christian faith yeah. originating from Nigeria, mm. or more recently arrived refugees who follow the Islamic faith. Oh yeah, um, originating uh, from the Honot Horn of Africa, maybe yeah. Eritrea or you're, Somalia. You're quite right. I mean, Ghanaian, the Ghanaian uh, immigration into the UK um, '56 is quite professional. You mm. know, and I was taught by a, a brilliant teacher in my school uh, from Ghana. That's a different thing to people fleeing persecution Absolutely. from war-torn places. Yeah, I just think we've just got to be honest. I, I, I love the, the honesty that you've put into the mm. book. And I think, so just to finish this sort of part, of it, it's clear, isn't it? It's absolutely clear to anyone that's fair, is that there are massive disparities. The disparities aren't going to go away very, very quickly. Uh, and to attribute disparities between groups in, in diverse societies to some broad theory of, of Systemic racism and you know is just un, is just untrue. The real things are cultural mm. attitudes, family <clears throat> stability. Absolutely, and, and I didn't write the book uh, deliberately seeking to offend uh, no. particular groups. If you genuinely care about young British black lives, you'll talk about family structure mm. and the reality of up to the age of fifteen, mm. um, black Caribbean children, sixty-three percent. Uh, living yeah. in lone parent households. Yeah. And this is not to stigmatise single parents no. either. Many do try their utmost under very mm. difficult circumstances to provide their children with a proper upbringing. Mm. That is bound to have, out, um, that's bound to shape outcomes surrounding mental well-being, cognitive development, level of education attainment, yeah. further down the line, labour market integration, mm. um, in adulthood. Everything. It, it really does cognitive development as well. Well, let's let's so, get let's get on to it because you because yeah. one of the one of the, I couldn't we can't talk about every single chapter in the book, but a brilliant chapter in the book is about family and the importance of family to many uh, ethnic minority communities uh, who are getting it right. Mm. Uh, some have more challenges, but but a lot mm. of them are getting it absolutely right. And you, I think the term you use, which is something you're in good company, Rocky, because I have the same problem. You you say that. Anyone defending the traditional family, uh, even the mildest defence, that's the word you use, the term, 
you, you come under attack. Why, why is that? I think the family is seen by some elements of the left as a, a very hierarchical institution. Well, Patriarch. You, you need a bit of hierarchy, that's the <laughs> truth of it. I'm sorry, yeah. I think yeah. I have a natural respect for my elders. Mm. I have a respect for my parents. I get along with my parents incredibly well. Mm. I do, but I understand where the authority lies within my um, family structure. It's quite moving, actually, that you, you, you mentioned your mum and you mentioned the wider community. And Absolutely. The, uh, and growing up in that place, it's a feeling of safety. And mm. it's a, it's a strong sense of belonging. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I actually say in the book a little bit of pressure as well. Of course. I want to represent the family very well. When I'm out in the community and people ask me, oh, Rakib, how did you do in your exams? Mm. Um, how are you doing at university? How are you progressing in terms of your mm. career? How's work going? Um, you don't want to bring bad news and you don't want to bring shame to your family in the wider community. No, so and also when you do well, you're also representing your family, your community in Luton, aren't you? Absolutely. You're, yeah. Absolutely. Luton does not have the best reputation. That's no, the truth of it. No, but it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, that's why, yeah, that's why I was mentioning BLM being imported. Mm. It, it's, it, it's, it's, it has no place at all. It, every, every local area is different and it's very different. But I just think, I, I, I think it's odd because I, I, I get uh, uh, challenged, let's put it that way, sometimes for sticking up for the family. And the SDP has mm. s uh, a separate policy section on, specifically on the family. And we have some very strong pro-family policies like full sharing of tax allowances between married mm. or c couples raising children. That's a massive thing. When you explain it to, to British people you know, in the regions, I think, oh, that would, that would help immensely. I mean, you know, you, you, if, we could, if we're not going to pay any, if we're raising kids, we're not, a couple's not going to pay any tax until there's 26 grand in the bank, that's going to help us a lot. And it, and it may mean that there's less pressure on childcare, maybe dad looks after the kids or mum, mm. you know, but it's that sort of, and there's another policy we have, which is that giving um, married couples uh, mm. preference in housing allocations. And again, quite, uh, in, in the present climate, it seems quite edgy or mm. yes, a bit spicy to have a policy like that, but we believe in it. And I would argue that all the quantitative research in social science supports family stability and so on. So as I say, we're, we're unless you're, do you, think, do you think our opponents in this, Rakib, are being, do you, is it a moral failure? Oh, it, it's, uh... is it dishonest? There's a, is dishonesty. I think that comes into it. And people say, uh, you know, successful families come in different shapes and sizes. That's not the argument that we're making. What, mm. what I'm saying through the book <clears throat> is that there's certain family structures which are more strongly associated with positive youth outcomes and young people's personal development. Yes. And the evidence is there. Yeah. And I think that when you're looking at tendencies on the modern left, mm. th there is very much a tendency to be overly inclusive. Mm. And the reality is what we need to focus on is what works better. And, and what works better, again, this is, this mm. is interesting that you, you, you phrase it that way, because when I look at social science, I, I mean, I'm a philosopher and town planner by training, but, I, but I, when I look at social science, you have to look at populations. Uh, yes, of course there are, there are exceptions, but, mm. but you know, pretty much on the population level, the quickest route to uh, family poverty is single parenthood. It mm. just is. It is. And in terms of good outcomes for society and for children and parents, the wider community, solid family structure, there's just no... I think, do you think that a lot of the progressives um, that we're talking about uh, are actually hypocrites on them? Particularly the, um, 
the, uh, the ones towards the top of the social hierarchy, they, the tendency to act, to speak liberal constantly and act conservative. Oh, there's a huge hypocrisy there. Yeah. They, people who are um, responsible for condemning, in my view, very sensible mm. um, con conservative thinking, living quite socially conservative lives themselves. Mm. Um, the kind of politician that says, you know, successful families can come in all shapes and sizes, mm, mm. but they have a very conventional family history. Or drugs, you know, the, 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 you know, it's a permissive attitude or drugs, it's fine. Exactly. But they're not, you're not practicing that. You wouldn't want no. your kids doing that. No, absolutely. Yeah. If they found that their own children were taking drugs, they wouldn't be very pleased. Mm. But they seem to be very happy about the liberalization of drugs. Yeah. yeah. No, I think you should really, in a sense, if you personally believe that your own lifestyle provides a solid model, then that should also be reflected in your, in your own policy thinking. That's why. Yeah, speak, I mean, in, you know, obviously we, we <clears throat> some, uh, some politics, I mean, you know, famously the previous prime minister, Boris Johnson, you know, massively liberal. And actually I would argue that his, the way he lived his life and the way he did public policy was aligned because he, everything he did was liberal. So there was no very, problem there uh, from the point of view of hypocrisy. He's a very much a free spirit by that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned, I mean, I don't talk about the Labour Party too much because we, mm. we're building our own party, which I think is, 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 is a separate thing. But a lot of the book is about the Labour Party and its, its problems uh, with, with Britain's ethnic minorities. Um, Labour has had a sort of patriotic makeover, a sort of rebranding, hasn't it? During Brexit, you know, the, the primary opponent to getting Brexit done was, was Starmer. He did everything he could. Chief stop. architect of the second referendum policy. Yeah, to try and stop it, to try and stop it. Uh, he did everything he could. And then suddenly, uh, you know, I think Kate Ainsley was appointed and then a few, you know, a few other advisors. And it's, oh, well, you can't do a press conference without having a British flag behind you. And it's absurd to me. So that's one thing. They do that. I'm not sure if people buy it. But do you, what, what, what are the chances of the Labour Party having a sort of pro-family makeover? And, you know, do you see anything like that happening? I'm naturally a very optimistic person. I know, so, you are, I know. Uh, and, and I think in a sense it provides a golden opportunity for Labour to reconnect with many of its um, traditional minded mm. um, core voters mm. in a sense. But I, I think the issue is, and this is my worry, that mm. in recent times when it comes to social policy there's been so much of an emphasis on protected characteristics. Yeah. Which as you know social class is not protected characteristic no, no. in our equalities legislation. That. Um, in terms of a pro-family makeover, I do think Sakir is well positioned to lead that kind of agenda because of his own lifestyle, mm. in, in a sense, which is actually quite a conventional yeah. family and marital yeah. um, history that he has, mm. um, background. Uh, in terms of the chances of it, um, I think the circle of advisors are of a better quality, certainly more so than the Corbyn era. There's no mm. two ways about that. And I think that... The, the thinking that should exist on the left is actually if you have stronger families, mm. it, you actually, it, in some ways, you really present or create opportunities mm. to reduce welfare spending. That is the truth. No, of, of course, it. yeah, uh, because the family is the first line of mm, defence. Absolutely. Yeah, and yeah, I think totally. in a way, if you have stronger families, the welfare state becomes more sustainable uh, as a result of that. But I think uh, for me, uh, cohesive society is ultimately rely on the existence of strong and stable families. I agree with you, but I, I'm not optimistic about the Labour Party doing it. But it's not, I mean, Starmer may believe it, but his membership and his wider membership, and a lot of mm, his progressive voters, mm. uh, because if you look at who, who votes Labour now, 
uh, you know, <clears throat> so what Matt, Matt Goodwin would call the new elite and their, 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 their wider groups, mm -hmm. the 15, 20% of people that is the core of that, the most activist, and they're not getting it at all. No. And I say, if I get chopped for just telling the truth about, in a good faith way about family structure, I, I can't see it anytime soon. Uh, there's a great chapter in this book about patriotism. Mm. And in particular, the patriotic uh, feelings that many uh, ethnic minority communities have. Um, would you like to just outline that? Because I wasn't surprised about it because I've read about it before. Mm. But do you think um, the do you think the p level of patriotism there is underrated, underreported? Oh, definitely. And, and I think that many of the mainstream narratives surrounding patriotism. Mm. And the, 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 I mentioned a number of commentators in the book who said that um, very dubiously that if Labour was to embrace symbols of Britishness mm. and were to take a more patriotic route mm. um, through its activities, uh, this would alienate ethnic minorities en masse, mm. which is which is why would it? Which is quite mm. clearly nonsense. Mm. Um, eth the, there are first-generation migrants originated from very unstable and indeed dangerous environments mm. in their in their countries of origin. Mm. So naturally, they have positive orientations towards British democracy. Mm. Now, their children and grandchildren, they may have different expectations of British democracy because they very much have an exclusive frame of reference, mm. but. The idea that if you were to have a more patriotic Labour Party, that this would alienate ethnic minority voters mm. across the country, there's no evidence of that whatsoever. And I think there's also the evidence, and I'll just make this point very quickly as well, with Brexit, mm. you, you saw mm. Brexit votes being delivered in areas with very high um, South Asian origin populations, including Luton. Yeah. 56.5%, I think Bradford uh, voted out uh, the, the predominantly Asian parts of uh, Birmingham are also quite, um, how would you say, higher than expected well, folks it, there as well. It sort of links into, I mean, so I'll just, the stats in here, so yep. I'll say it for the, for the viewers. So British, uh, the question of whether British identity is important mm. to you, ethnic minorities, 68%, uh, white population, 63%. I think the, the slightly lower figure in the white population may be, to some extent, which you flag up, yep. might be uh, a sense of Englishness rather than Britishness or Scotsness or, yeah. or, or so like a Scottish only, yeah, English could, only, Welsh could only be, identities, but, yeah. but it's still the, the vast majority, you know, over two thirds of ethnic minorities, mm. British identity is important to them. And I, I totally agree with you. I mean, we, you know, the SDP, we, we maybe get onto this in the sort of solutions section of this interview later, sure. but we have, we propose a, a mass immigration pause or, a, or to end mass immigration. Mm. For, for absolutely good faith reasons. We need to find a new us in this country. We need to bring people together and have a pause and take a breather. And uh, you know, rampant, reckless levels of migration are just not helpful for that. Uh, so we've got a lot of uh, ethnic minority members in the SDP who get it and they, they think for themselves. And, and, and yet, progressives constantly say, we can't think that. Isn't that just insulting? It's It's also very contradictory to say that Britain is a fundamentally racist country, but you're supportive of very high levels of immigration. So why would you support oh, yeah, lots yeah. of non-white people coming to the country and yeah, suffer yeah. this yeah. so-called um, aggressive racism? Mm. Uh, it's not consistent at all. But no. I totally agree with you on immigration. Mm. And if you actually see um, parts of the country um, that believe that immigration is currently too high, it's mm. not exclusively held by the Tory voting provinces. There's also no. a common view in what I call Labour's Asian origin heartlands as well. Oh, totally, yeah. And, and as I say, anyone paying attention, um, I mean, it, it also, it shouldn't be, in terms of people's life stories, it shouldn't be 
surprising. If you come from, to Britain, which is a stable, well-organized state, mm. and you come from a place that is, is failing and is, is, is divided and a war-torn zone. Chaotic. Chaotic. Um, you, you'd be very cautious about protecting what we have. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I'd make the point, if, if there's uh, someone who came to Britain, mm. relocated as a refugee, who mm. genuinely fled persecution and violence mm. in their country of origin, mm. Mm. why would they express sympathy with irregular migration on, on the English South Coast? Insane. The small boats emerge. You may argue that they may be more sensitive to it more than anything. Yeah, I mean, I think they'd totally be alive to it. And mm. I think, but, it, but what I'm, I'm, I'm getting at that, I mean, obviously mm. the, 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 the patriotism is there in the, in the vast majority, but the, um, what I'm getting at also is the, is the patronizing attitude. Indeed. That a lot of, I mean, you say, you know, these awful terms, you, what you call in the book left racism, Uncle Tom's, coconuts, race mm. traitors, white adjacent. That's so insulting. I mean, you know, my own family you know, has a number of different ethnic groups in it. Uh, we're mainly white, but not entirely. Just if I said to uh, members of my family, you're white, you, you're trying to take away someone's achievement. You're trying to say that they are, no, they, they are themselves. Absolutely mm. so insulting to, no, to say that. It really is. Uh, unbelievable. Um, now the book, so that's the majority. I totally agree with you. And, and if I was going to be in a, uh, 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 in a fight, I'd, I'd, I'd want a lot of these people behind me. But there, I think the white progressives are very, a lot of them are very anti-patriotic, very, mm. very hostile to the United Nation states. But there's also uh, sizable minorities that have very anti-Western views. And, I, and, and it's interesting, mm. the book came out. You are an optimist. I mean, it's a lot of optimism in this book. And I, and I, and I sort of agree with, I, I agree with it in, in the main, in that I think if you take the race baiters out, you take the grievance industry out, you take CRT out, and you take all this stuff out. Which won't be easy, by the no, way, I, I, because I, it's very much embedded in our institutions. Well, that, so I, I think I'm understanding the challenges that, involved. That's the final part of the interview, that, yeah. what we do, but, the, but, but you, it is very difficult. But I have no doubt at all that you take that out, and I, ordinary British people of various backgrounds have no difficulty at all in getting on with each other. Mm. That's just what I see. But the, you wrote the book before October the 7th. Indeed. And at the in the book, I think the, the sort of worst recent example of, of inter-community uh, trouble was Leicester, and, and that, was, that was bad, but it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't huge in scale. Uh, you know, I know people came in from Birmingham and so on. It was pretty unpleasant. London as well, yeah. Pretty unpleasant. But I think, I have to say, <clears throat> October the 7th changes things. And, and, and then you get, you know, massive <clears throat> um, demonstrations on streets and, and Jewish kids not going, being able to go to school. Uh, you know, today it was reported that buses refused to, to collect Jewish kids on the way to school. And so suddenly the whole atmosphere um, has, has changed. Do you agree? Well, I, I think that when you look at the Israel-Palestine conflict, there's no mm. doubt that it has the potential and it is having an impact on mm. social cohesion, especially more mm. urban parts of the country. Mm. Now, I'd make this point. I think it, it, there's perfectly legitimate grievances to be raised in terms of the Israeli government's yeah. militaristic occupation and forms of population displacement in the West mm. Bank. Mm. Where I take issue is that British mm. Jews being treated as agents, yeah. almost, of the Israeli government. That's not on. Now, ultimately, mm. we're support of a very inclusive model of patriotism, mm. tying together a variety of faiths and, indeed, none. And I think I've been, I've been 
very worried about some of the language and some mm. of the behavior, to be honest, of some of the demonstrations. It's very mm. clear that there's been anti-Semitic chanting, um, the displaying of pro-terror yeah. paraphernalia. Mm. And, and I think that actually weakens the pro-Palestine cause more than anything when that kind of behavior is shown on mainstream media outlets. It does, and you don't know how... I mean, you know, I've been in town when some of the demonstrations have been on, haven't mm. been on them, but I've, I've witnessed them, and, I've, you know, and, and, and there's been a lot talked about. Uh, you don't know how much, how many of the 200,000 people that turn up are saying these things or doing mm. these things, but certainly a sizable minority. Um, but, you know... You know, and multiculturalism, you know, has has been under threat intellectually for a long time now. Yeah. Um, particularly the sort of um, uh, what we would call it, sort of indifferent multicultural. Just get on with it. Nothing, you know, just just live your own life in separate yeah. communities, go to communities, or whatever. <clears throat> That's the bit. But I think I, I am concerned that it, the, the the test of whether it, it works out isn't. When things are fine, it's when it's when something like mm. Israel-Palestine kicks off. Absolutely, and I, I do, I do worry. Um, and I, and when I see, you know, Jewish people say, oh, "I'm not sure I can live here." That's it's terrifying. No, I think I think that that's mm. something that needs to be urgently addressed. Mm. I think the Met, in particular, in terms of the policing, the protests, very much found wanting, um, in my view. And it's, it's something that I talk about in the book. The, the, the real issue here is that in many of our public institutions, uh, they're tribal activists who have been given a great yeah. deal of um, yeah. power and influence within those institutions. Uh, in, in some cases, our anti-extremism funding has been allocated to organizations where the leadership appear to express sympathy with the Taliban I know, in no, Afghanistan. It's, it's astonishing. And so we, we need systems level change, we really yeah. do. It's been, in, the center has been in so weak in this. Mm. I mean, you know, I mean, if you, we, you know, we, we have a, a membership of a few thousand. If you want to join the SCP, we check you out. Mm. You know, we check you out. We don't reject many people, but if, you, if, if we can find one or two that are not going to get into our party, mm. what, how, how is it that the police end up, <clears throat> as you say, funding and appointing people that are just, have said things that are terrible? I think it's awful. And I think that's one of the fundamental flaws with <coughs> uh, multiculturalism as an integration policy approach, mm. that it gives far too much influence to self-appointed community leaders who are anything but representative of the communities and they, they are, yes, and they come are, from. It is a major problem. They are sort of self, uh, I mean, it, 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 there are so many of them as well, mm. and, um, and they, they take it upon themselves to, uh, to represent mm. people, but they, they haven't asked them, no. have they? And it's even to the point that, uh, <laughs> In some parts of the country, our law and order responsibilities have been outsourced mm. to these community leaders, mm. which is incredibly reckless. And I think you can see the, the consequences of that. You can mm. clearly see that with the large-scale public disorder last year mm. in Leicester mm. uh, as well. Mm. It isn't, I mean, I wouldn't, you know, I, I, I think the police, I think they are practicing two-tier policing. Mm. For, for, I mean, they, we saw that in, 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 in the lockdown because the, the BLM protests were not, uh, BLM, Major protests took place when you could you could only assemble six people at once. Yeah, some police uh, officers taking the knee as well. Yeah, which is wrong. You know, and Starmer made a big mistake on that. Mm. Uh, you know, BLM. Just look at it. Ben Cobbley did a lovely piece for us in uh, SCP Talk, and I did another piece after that about it. All all you had to do with BLM was read, <laughs> mm. read what they actually said, and you know, defunding police, anti-family, anti-free uh, um, enterprise. So no, it's it's, it's insane. Um, the it it is it is it is going to be a challenge though, and I think they 
the diversity is strength narrative, which is peddled constantly, it can be, but it, but it can also be a massive challenge, and it's, it's mm. sometimes a weakness. So you, you've got a, I've got a quote here. You say, diversity is only a strength if it is tied together by shared values, mutual obligations, and a sense of common purpose. I agree with you. The, the problem mm. is, that both of us have to face reality on, of course. is that some groups, you know, say a jihadi or an Islamist extremist, does not share the values oh, of no, a secular, uh, secular Democrat. No. So what do we do? Oh, I, I, naturally, extremists uh, <laughs> fall outside of that. And, mm. I, and I think we have to be honest, it, it, I have um, quite a strong counter-extremism background. It's I something know. I've talked about with yeah. Prevent. Yeah. Um, there's, such a, it, it, there's such a huge difference between the ideological character of referrals to prevent mm. and the country's actual mm. wider terror threat picture, mm. which is very much jihadist dominated. Mm. You wouldn't think that looking at the ideological composition of referrals to prevent. And I think the issue there is that we unfortunately we have many progressive leaning public institutions in education and healthcare mm. who are involved in prevent in that referral system, who, who are perhaps fearful of being accused of being racist, um, Islamophobic, but, they, but, but you know, progressives mm. complain about prevent and say it's causing problems, and most Muslims aren't That's even aware of it. Most British Muslims are not even aware of no. prevent. They, they say that British Muslims are being alienated on mass by prevent. How you can an entire group can be alienated on mass by a program they don't actually no. know <laughs> by name is, yeah. is a very inter yeah. interesting take. Yeah. Um, and actually, to be honest, if you really want to see some of the most robustly conservative law and order positions, mm. you can visit quite a good number of British Muslim communities. Oh yeah, no, I, I have no doubt about that. Yeah. Uh, no, I think it's it, it is. I'm just I'm just flagging up. Uh, you know, They're definitely challenges. Just the challenge between the yeah. rhetoric. You know, diversity is strength. All this, you know, putting it on fifty mm. coins or whatever. Yeah, fine. You can. <laughs> that's the, That's. But that's a religion. You're. You're. You're just saying yeah. that that diversity is strength. You're not looking at the real challenge. It's a very reckless belief. Yeah, right? that's the way. I, that's yeah, the way I, I think describe right. it. And, and I think that there needs to be more <clears throat> of a focus on commonality, mm. to be honest, as opposed to difference. Now, I think it's nice that people may have different heritages. They celebrate them. Need to be celebrated in a peaceful way, mm. um, in, in an orderly way. I think that's important. But there has to be a sense of a transcendent national identity, which is able to wrap that uh, diversity I, up. I totally agree. So let's finish on on solutions. What we do, what, what we do going forward. Now, um, I think there are challenges, and I mm. think um, putting your head in the sand and being dishonest is not a not a, a solution. I think so many people do that. And that's why I think your book is brilliant, because you just oh, you, you. you deal with it head on. Uh, but we've got to think about how, how we go forward, right? And um, the bleak, the bleak, well, I love John Gray, and I talk about him a lot, and he, but he talks about the United States being in a sort of low-intensity civil uh, war. And, mm. and he, you know, you could, you could say that's possibly true. But then you can also look around the world, and you can find... <clears throat> um, in Southeast Asia, uh, an extremely successful state that has taken on uh, a very diverse um, population and united them, and that's Singapore. And Singapore, it's probably the most successful state economically, you know, in terms of what it had and what it's got in, uh, in history. But it's also, Lee Kuan Yew also pulled people together, and he talked from the start. He was raised in realism because he, he they suffered in not in just in Singapore but they suffered in Kuala Lumpur before uh, the Singapore became a separate state uh, Antony Sine uh, 
uh, riots, which killed a lot of people. And they knew how, how difficult it was. And Lee Kuan Yew said, well, you know, one of the problems, we, we're separate communities. We just don't, and he's, he said, we don't sing together. We can't sing together. And so he actively mm. integrated. Very robustly. Uh, very robust. Yeah, and, and I'm not yeah. saying we could always do th what they do here. I, I don't, I, I mean, you know, you can't just drop and transport, mm. particularly in, in very different societies. But it, it proves you can do it. Yeah, I, I think that when you hear many Brexiteers say mm. that we want Britain to be was it Singapore on the Thames? They don't understand. But they say it from a sort of very free market libertarian perspective. They don't understand the social well, market. I'd, I'd actually like that because I think how I'd see it, you'd have uh, higher levels of economic intervention. Very. Um, good housing, very, good, good transport. Housing, high quality public transportation yes, networks. Yes, yes. Very robust when it comes to law and order, yes, put it that way. Yeah. And someone say very authoritarian approach to integration, but at least there was that effort there to understand that you need to have a robust Singaporean national identity. And I think that's yes. the key. Yeah. I, don't, I think many of our politicians don't even talk about it. I think no, that's like, they, they, they're, they're slightly cowardly, they, they, mm. but it's not just that. They also lack the vocabulary. Mm. They haven't thought about and he it. He was a very charismatic and inspirational leader, and unfortunately that's in very short supply in mainstream it is. No, politics. You, you, Lee Kuan Yews don't, don't uh, just appear. He's an exceptional mm. man. But he, anyway, the point is he's proved that they can do yep. it. And, and it. But you have to have some sort of robustness. You have to the state. You have to have that will as well. Yeah, the, so you want to do it. And you, uh, to bring people together but if you want to do it you can do it um, so some of the what are your what are your main uh, sort of uh, policy solutions going forward to bring people together well I, I think there's a great deal of focus on just fostering good relations it needs to be more than that so for example the public mm. sector equality duty mm. I think we need something more along the lines of a public um, public sector integration duty mm. you know public bodies what are your plans to integrate diverse communities how are you going to go about it mm. and then you can measure how a social trust in a particular area improved year on year mm. so you, you keep track of how those institutions are performing in terms of integrating diverse communities. Mm. I think that's very important. Mm. I think there's been far too much emphasis on celebrating difference or this sort of cosy um, liberal language. I think we need genuine, very serious action on this front, especially when it comes to integration. Yeah. Um, I think there needs to be, unfortunately, uh, the reality is diversity has its drawbacks. Mm. And I think that and many people will be very disappointed in, in terms of me suggesting this, in order to manage diversity, there needs to be robust law and order, effective neighbourhood policing. The a lot of people say that's the price of diversity. Um, unfortunately, no. I think that's something that you need. No, well, that's, a, that's a given anyway. I think, you, I mean, mm. I'm, we're, in the SDP, we're very keen on, mm. on you know, all citizens got to be treated on a par. And mm. every citizen, it's one of the things that must unite people want to live in a, a safe neighbourhood. Sure. Uh, you know, it's just a given. Um, I think the, I, I was wondering if you, you, you were going to go in, uh, in terms of, uh, it might be a negative thing, but, mm. but it's, you know, what we would do is defund the grievance industry. <laughs> That's what we would do. We would ban CRT in schools yeah. and we would, any, the, the, the flows of money that goes into negative, um, you know, but it's intellectual as well. Yeah, it's very yeah, poor in yeah, an educational yeah, yeah, sense. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not at all, I'm not, you know, daft. I, I know that you, you couldn't do an overnight thing because all of these ideas are culturally embedded in the, 
in the academy. But why is the state funding divisive projects? Just stop mm. that. That's not There's considerable amounts of government money that we're talking about here. Mm. Well, ultimately, it's taxpayers' money. Let's be clear about that. Mm. And, and I think one thing I'd say is that there's far too many tribal opportunists operating in state institutions. Mm. Need to be rooted out. No, no uh, two ways about it. It's quite clear. On the broader picture, though, I, I think one of the urgently we need we've got five and a half million people now to work benefits, and we're importing mm. labour. Quite often, oh. quite often, in an entirely immoral way. You know, I've worked in in uh, for a charity, a medical charity in Ghana. I know what the effect of uprooting a nurse in Ghana is, and I've said it before. And it's just it's this is just what happens. They can't inoculate kids; kids die. Mm. Yeah, we get a nurse, but we can't be bothered to train our own people. That's just mm. insane, isn't it? No, absolutely. I think that for. I say that Britain needs to be rehabilitated yes. after its long-standing addiction to mass immigration. Yeah, yeah. As you say, it's deeply unethical from a global justice perspective. Totally. You have countries far less developed Wicked, and advanced than ours who invest what limited resources they have mm. in, in training up their young people mm. and then they lose those young people to economies such as ours. Because we that. can't be bothered. But we and should be. We can't, and, we, and, and if we, we get to power, it's going to change. No, because it's, 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 I say this a lot, I think a lot of things happen because the people that run the country don't care. They don't care. They don't want to do it. It's not that they can't. If you They're not a, passionate about maximising the potential of British people. Not at all. And I think that's a real shame. I think that if, if uh, the route to future sustainable economic growth mm. is investing in our own domestic workforce Jeez. and in terms of improving skills, I think we could have a more sophisticated education system mm. which better pr um, promotes vocational skills. Oh, yeah. And that means tackling the culture of snobbery towards those much-needed skills. The whole, the whole, you need a massive tilt. I mean, the university yeah. education system is the university industrial complex. It's actually... Heavily relying on the fees of international it, students. It is. And it, they're dependent. It is. Of, no, it's, it's, just, it's just a Ponzi scheme, actually. It's not yeah. just a Ponzi scheme, but it is a Ponzi scheme. And it needs, there's been, I mean, David Goodhart's right about it. It's a massive tilt towards vocational training, mm -hmm. massive, and it's urgent. But I, what, it, what it irritates me about the way we do things is that the, the new right uh, neoliberalism that's, that's, that's embedded, marinated in it, they think you can't train anyone. You think, I mean, if, I, if you had the, a, a sensible government, uh, you know, sort of government that we had in post-war period, Attlee or something like that, we say, that's the budget for the NHS, and, then, and the budget for the NHS happens to be, you know, 200 billion anyway, you will train sufficient doctors mm. and sufficient medical staff and clinicians for our requirements. Mm. And you can't say you haven't got the budget for it, because you have. And that's about doing basic things that people consider, you know, oh, you can't do that planning, you know, labour market planning, that's very left wing, you know, you yeah. can't do that. Of course you can if you want to, you should do it. Um, so I, I never buy that you can't do it. No. I'll we'll just make this point yeah. very quickly as well. I think with health and social care, they need to have bursaries, mm. um, apprenticeships, and on the job training as well. I think that'd be very important. But the key thing is, for me, national self-sufficiency is a classic conservative principle. Yeah. But the modern Tory party doesn't have very much time for it. It's not conservative. No, you'd have to find... I mean, we're a party conservative left, you might find it with us. Um, no, I totally agree with that. I think the, the um, care service thing is just chaos. I think uh, we need to pay people more. Yeah, they need to train them. Um, you know, our own population will work if they're paid for it. And we need a, a, a national care service, Andy Burnham's idea. It's the only thing that would mm. work. It, one of the main problems with social care is that the people are 
is very patchy. The universality has gone out of the window mm. completely. So the local authorities do something. People get uh, fall between them and the trusts mm. all over the place. Now we can talk about that. Um, I want to just fi finally finish on on an idea that I am really keen on myself, and I think it's a a precondition for a successful uh, diverse society, which is civilized toleration, as mm. I call it, of differences. And it's 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 not easy. Uh, people, you aim for equality, you, you aim for a much more equal society, it's a, the, the alpha and omega of our party to want that, but you will have differences, and if we're going to be, if we're going to get on, there has to be some toleration of them. Do you agree? Well, I, I think that the, the key point for me is that uh, Britain has a very tolerant, anti-discrimination, pro-equality mainstream. Mm. That, that is my view. But that tolerance shouldn't be taken advantage of. That, bene that benevolence shouldn't be exploited. Mm. And I think that we just have to, be more, we have to be more assertive when it comes to, in my view, uncivilised uh, practices and beliefs. Um, we I need to tackle that. I agree, but what I'm really getting at is mm. the... There's a... In the new declaration, we sort of mentioned mm. it a little bit. This what I would, what I sort of term parity maniacs who go around saying, "Well, there's you know there's, that's overrepresented in there, and there's too oh. many." And I just think, hold on, no, a mature. If you look at you know if you look at ancient societies, even you know, the Ottoman Turks, sort of, there were lots of different groups, and, mm. and and people find a way to rub along with each other by not not saying, "Well, you've got that, mm. we haven't," and I I. You know, do you, that's no, absolutely. I th the emphasis has to be on equality of opportunity. Yeah, that is, and a meritocracy. And there's definitely improvements to be made in terms of having, uh, how do you call it, a more merit-based allocation of rewards and opportunities yeah. in modern Britain. What I'm firmly against is the equalisation of outcomes. Mm. Now, people talk. There's certain ethnic uh, minority groups that their representation in police forces isn't reflective of their composition within the wider population. Mm. It's down to cultural values. There's some groups that relate and gravitate towards different professions. So what you say is absolutely right. We need to reject the parity maniacs. Mm. And that's the key thing. Understand why disparities exist. Mm. And we have to shatter the disparity equals discrimination paradigm. That's the key. You're totally right about that. Well, listen, I think your book is, is, um, is going to serve that purpose to some extent. I think you've, you've uh, you. written something that's that's, that's excellent and I, I thoroughly recommend it. Right, thank you so much and thank, thank you for you. having me. Cheers, Rocky. Thank you.